it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend. I was able to go out to see WOKB listeners. All right, uh, to see the Giants play the Jaguars. Jaguars, great fans. Feel terrible for them. The Giants having one of these years where they were able to hold on two yards. And uh, two yards shy of uh, maybe a loss or certainly overtime. Now it looks like the Giants moved to 6-1. and one. The Jags just two wins on the year. But it's good to be back in New York, although the weather was absolutely stunning over the weekend. And it's not stunning here, especially if you're a Yankee fan. Uh, the sun's not out. And the Mets, uh, for the Mets, the sun hasn't been out in a while. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be with us in a matter, a matter of moments, talking about, among other things, the developments with China. Over the weekend, really disturbing video for my reminds me of Saddam Hussein, what happened when he took power as President Xi gets a lifetime appointment. And Michael Goodwin from the New York Post talks about the unbelievable surge of Congressman Zeldin, who is now in a flat-footed tie with Governor Hochul to get be the next governor for the next four years. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Chinese leader, Xi Jinping, tightened his grip on power with a third five-year term in office. The event was highly choreographed, but there was one unusual moment with the country's former president, Hu Jintao, unexpectedly escorted out of the closing ceremony. Yeah, unbelievable. Around the world, as you just heard, there are a lot of questions about President Xi's plans for China's future. Russia is claiming Ukraine is preparing to launch a dirty bomb and North and South Korea exchanging warning shots uh, at sea uh, amid tensions between the two. I'll bring you the details. Number two. It's also a real condemnation of the teachers union and their commitment to radical values rather than to effective education. That's going to be a big issue virtually everywhere in the country. It's the... Yeah, I would think so, too. Not surprising, yet still shocking as the speaker talked. The results are in, and students of all ages suffered significant declines due to pandemic remote learning as predicted. Minorities and low income had the greatest decline. Who is to blame, and what can we do about it? Number one. It's been back and forth with them ahead, us ahead, them ahead, back and forth. And the polls have been all over the place. I think uh, that we're going to see one more shift back to our side in the closing days. He hopes 15 days and counting to what so many are saying will be a red state tsunami in midterms 2022. And why even the Senate now is in play, how Dems have sold out their heavyweights to change the messaging, uh, have sent them out, I should say, to change the messaging, we'll examine. But let's bring in Vivek Ramaswamy, who's got this great book out uh, called A Nation of Victims, Identity Politics, The Death of Merit, and the Path Back to Excellence. He's with the Strive Asset Management, and he's the founder there. Vivek, welcome back. Good to be on, Brian. Vivek, your take about Chinese president getting a lifetime appointment, you were alarmed by it. Yeah, I, I was alarmed by it. I have been sounding the alarm bell nonetheless about this for a long time because it didn't come as a surprise. He's been setting this up for over a couple of years now. But I want to say this loud and clear, Brian. Officially, you can now say that Xi Jinping is the most powerful individual in the world by no small margin. And he now wants the world to know it. And what we witnessed that day at that ceremony, I mean, that 
that alarming video of Hu Jintao being escorted out of that party meeting, that was a symbolic changing of the guard in this country. Right? Hu Jintao was the leader of China before Xi Jinping took over a decade ago. He had a consultative style of leadership that is now part of the past in China. He had this pro-growth economic agenda with a more of a soft posture towards the West as a trading partner. That is now part of the past. And what we now see in China is the rise of this autocratic, nationalistic, grievance-fueled culture instead. And, and I think that this day forward or this week forward, it is no longer even the CCP's China. It is Xi Jinping's China. And I do not think the world is yet ready. I don't think America is yet ready to understand the consequences of what that means. And I'm afraid we're going to have to learn those consequences the hard way, I predict, not before very long. I mean, that's why I, I really wanted to see if you had time in your schedule for us, because I knew how you felt, and I thoroughly agree. You know who also agrees? Congressman Mike Waltz. He weighed in. Cut 36. He sees all of this uh, as an existential conflict with the West, and he is talking about in his speeches uh, to prepare for the coming storm, uh, that this is a life-or-death competition with Western liberal democracy versus what he says is socialism with Chinese characteristics. Uh, every war game now, uh, the United States takes massive losses to where I don't think we can, as American people, can take for granted anymore that we win. What do we do about it? Well, Maria, in a new uh, Republican majority, we will have a select committee on uh, China that will get at everything from their buying up our farmland to infiltrating our universities to the amount of money that's pouring in from Wall Street, the fact that they own the Panama Canal now and, and ports uh, around the world. Uh, Z sees this as he is going to win economically way before there's any type of military conflict. Do you think that's a step in the right direction? And I think it's a small step in the right direction, to be very honest with you, Brian. I think the problem is not even a Republican and Democrat one here with respect to China. I think it's both a Republican and Democrat one dating back to the 1990s, where we had this philosophy of, of so-called so democratic capitalism, which said that we thought we could export Big Macs and Happy Meals to a place like China, and somehow that was going to spread democracy. And what we realized is that they played that game in reverse. Right? We, we thought we could use our money to get them to be more like us. What they realized is that they could use access to their market, their money, to get us to be more like them. Or even one step better, given all the investment we made there, they could realize that they could use our money to get us to be more like them. And it has worked. And, and it is like – and I think he did say one thing right there. It's, it's more like the Trojan War where you know, Greece would have never defeated Troy militarily. Okay, Troy had the wall. Greece defeated Troy with the Trojan horse that they knew Troy could not resist. And I think that China knew that we could not resist what we thought was the sweet gift of global capitalism, when in fact it was the veneer of capitalism with just Chinese mercantilism hiding inside, where they realized they could use companies as geopolitical pawns, BlackRock, Airbnb, Nike, you name it, to criticize the United States relentlessly, to apply constraints to the United States private sector repeatedly without applying those same criticisms or those same constraints in China. And what that's done, Brian, over the last 10 to 20 years is it's created this false moral equivalence on the global stage between China and the United States. And what is Xi Jinping – what game is he playing? He's setting up for that invasion of Taiwan. Now, the moment that China annexes Taiwan, you can mark my words. 
unlike those 300-plus companies that ceremoniously cut ties with Russia after the Ukrainian invasion, those same companies will not say a peep. Those same universities in the United States, those same institutions in the United States will not say a peep to condemn China as they take over Taiwan. And to those Americans out there, and some of these are Republicans too, Brian, but to those who will say, how does that affect us and our life here in the United States? Here's the difference between Ukraine and Taiwan. Taiwan is the global fountainhead, the global producer of advanced semiconductors that power our modern way of life in this country. From the phones we use, the phone I'm using to talk to you, to the laptops, to the refrigerators that keep our food cold, those are powered by advanced semiconductors that originate in Taiwan. Xi Jinping knows he takes the legs out from the United States economically if he owns that semiconductor supply chain. That is one of his motivations to want to take over Taiwan. Yet I think too many of us Americans, both politicians and citizens all the way down, are asleep at the switch because we've lulled, been lulled into complacency by the relative peace of the last 20 years. And I think with Xi now taking a third term, that is now going to change precipitously in a way that I don't think we're yet ready for. And while I appreciate the, the verbiage of the Republicans coming into power, I personally don't think that either party is, is quite yet ready to measure up to the challenge that's ahead of us. I'm going to say the most naive thing possible. If you are J.P. Morgan, if you are Blackstone, you're already unbelievably popular, I mean, excuse me, profitable. Why would you say to yourself, uh, I'm going to start to make maneuvers to get out of there because they see the same thing you see and they don't want to give up uh, their America first preference, I imagine, because they are American. So if they see what you see, why would they stay where they're staying? Here's the thing, Brian. They're not American, right? I think that they are effectively multinational corporations that have transnational commitments, and they're doing the rational thing, which is to say that you can enter the Chinese market, but if you criticize the CCP or do something that crosses them the wrong way, you lose access to that entire market. And quietly, if you critique the United States or apply an ESG standard here in the United States, they will roll out the red carpet for you. And so that's how you get to say – BlackRock or others advocating for Exxon and Chevron to cut oil production here, while firms like PetroChina can buy up those same projects and those same shareholders, supposedly U.S. shareholders, say nothing about PetroChina's own behaviors. I mean, it's how you get to all of the hypocrisies. We could go all the way down. Nike critiquing slavery here in the U.S. without saying a peep about the actual present-day enslavement in concentration camps of a million people in Shenzhen. But they're doing what's most rational for them because it's what allows them to make the most money. And you're right. Are they already making a lot of money? Sure they are. But at the end of the day, that's how a corporation is wired. I think that that's kind of the system that we inherited for ourselves, and that's okay if those same corporations are transparently evaluated by citizens and policymakers accordingly. But the problem, the tripwire in the system, Brian, and this, this runs deep. It's complex stuff. But the tripwire in the system is when those same corporations then appointed themselves with the moral veneer of stakeholder capitalism, of ESG, of being the new international arbiters of moral justice, decrying racial injustice here in the United States, fighting climate change, but only here in the United States. Now they come out of it smelling like a rose. And so we live in the worst of all worlds, where either you could say those companies need to be socially responsible on everything and cut ties with China, or you could say corporations should just sell products and make most money, and then citizens need to decide how we protect ourselves. Instead, now we live in the worst of all worlds because we're in neither of those worlds where sometimes we appoint those corporations with the moral legitimacy to defend the United States and our social and societal long-run interests. 
whereas they sell us down the river when it comes to their behaviors mm. in China. But it's all correctable and doable. You've got to start using po- political figures who are trying to be leaders, not be famous, and not worry about reelection, and start calling out these companies specifically and how they're jeopardizing national security and make that be the debate. Uh, instead, we're talking about transgender teens. Uh, the, the, the other reality is things aren't going swimmingly in China. They have wiped out that free market principle within the autocratic regime that allowed things, uh, some, the Jack Ma's to emerge. They are throttling them. The young people are not working. And we understand their zero COVID policy has really hurt them economically. The Belt and Road program is not paying off. That is some of the reality. Not all things are paved with gold for them, correct? No, that's absolutely correct, right? So there's two ways to look at this. Okay, one is that actually Xi Jinping taking over could actually be good long run for the U.S. because it's going to even further send China into economic tailspin. He has been tanking their economy because he's worried about somebody aggregating power in the private sector where he doesn't want any threats to his power. However, there's there's a darker way to look at that too, Brian, which is history teaches us that when autocratic leaders are embarrassed by their domestic policies at home, that's when they turn abroad to be able to project strength instead. In a certain sense, that's what happened with Putin. And so I look at that and say, absolutely, is Xi Jinping going to make China less economically competitive, less pro-growth? I think he is. Hu Jintao, his predecessor, had it right in those respects. Xi Jinping doesn't. But Xi Jinping has probably the biggest ego of any individual leading a major nation today. And I think that that's going to further fuel the fire of his nationalistic bent. And I will say the one thing they do have going for them, Brian, is their military. People in the United States miss this fact. Their naval fleet is now bigger than the American naval fleet. Okay, You talked about those war games in that clip. I, I agree with that. The U.S. is actually going through, I think, a senseless policy right now. I can't explain it, Brian. What we call our divest to invest program, including in our Navy, where we are literally decommissioning ships over the next six, seven years so that we can replace them after 2030 with more updated ships. Well, guess what? That paints the exact window for when China and Xi Jinping is going to want to go for Taiwan. So when things aren't going well for him at home because of his destructive policies like zero COVID, and tanking the Chinese economy and tech stocks, he's going to project strength by saying, well, guess what? It's kind of like what the ancient Romans did. When they would devalue their own currency, what would they do? They would invade another neighboring empire to be able to plunder their silver. That's what China's going to be looking to do to Taiwan to plunder the semiconductor supply chain, the more in trouble their own in-house economy and technology industry is. So, So I fear, this is where I'm at, is that I agree it's going to be economically bad for them, That may actually catalyze Xi Jinping to even do stupider things in the short run for him, but more harmful military steps that he could take from a U.S. perspective. Very uh, very few people uh, better to talk to about this breaking news regarding the next or the the one nation that could actually supplant us uh, as a global superpower. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, thanks so much. Pick up his book, Nation of Victims. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, the arm's been sounded, one 408 This news, not that surprising. When Boris Johnson dropped out over the weekend for being prime minister again, it, it paved the way for Rashid Sunak. Sunak? Sunak? Is it, well, I'll find out how to pronounce it eventually, or at least for the next 45 days, unless he gets, because that would surpass him as uh, someone who actually replaced the last prime minister, the new prime minister of the United Kingdom. Let's see if he can straighten things out. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think it's a legitimate thing to be concerned about anyone's age, including mine. I think that's totally legitimate. But I think the best way to make the judgment is to, uh, to you know, watch me. You know, am I slowing up? Am I don't have the same pace? I could get a disease tomorrow. I could, you know, drop dead tomorrow. Okay, that was a beneficial. The thing is, does he not realize that we watched him fall asleep in that same interview for a question? Does he not realize that we've seen him over and over again lose himself on his own teleprompter? He does not look good when he's walking around. And for his wife, he evidently says, my wife wants me to run for re-election because he says we're doing a lot of great things for the country. What wife would let him run for re-election? And I am judging her. Are you crazy? Do you not want to spend any time with him at all? I mean, look at the stress he's under. Look how he's reacting to it. You might think, well, he's got a great agenda. Well, then find somebody else and mentor that person and try to get that person to become president if you're Jill Biden. I thought your first obligation is to your husband, but uh, who knows what's going on. Maybe she's pulling all the strings like Woodrow Wilson after her husband uh, got a stroke and she didn't tell anybody. Maybe she likes the power. To me, I would I would hope somebody else would step in. Meanwhile, you know that all the issues are trending away from Democrats when it comes to crime, when it comes to the border, uh, when it comes to inflation, when it comes to the economy. All of them are trending away. So listen to how Nancy Pelosi's tried to spin her way out of it. Cut six. But on things like sending, you know, those fourteen hundred dollar checks, putting yeah. cash out there. Right. I mean, didn't that end up contributing to inflation? Do you have any regrets about the bills you passed and how you structured them? No, absolutely not, because this that was necessary uh, for people to survive. Our purpose it was, is, was that it was inflationary. The, the, but, but the point is, is that when you reduce unemployment, it's inflationary. That is a fact. So we feel proud of what we've done. We feel proud of the mm-hmm. president uh, to help America's working families to lower their cost and in doing so to reduce the deficit. Anytime they hear reduce the deficit, just know this. I thought the best analogy was written over the weekend. They say saying that you're reducing the deficit is like Harry, De- Harry Truman saying he's the best deficit reducer in the history of man and the history of our nation. Why? Because the war ended. We stopped spending over there. We started rebuilding and investing. That's the difference. The pandemic ended. You no longer had to put these unnecessary expenditures out there because America went back to work naturally, not because of your program. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Back and forth with them ahead, us ahead, them ahead, back and forth. And the polls have been all over the place. I think uh, that we're going to see one more shift back to our side in the closing days. Uh, that, of course, is the president of the United States uh, talking about what's going, what's happening right now with the polls. But things have been shifting away from him really since August. 
And now the Republicans, because of what's happening in the country and because of their firm stance, they've already have some residents in credibility when it comes to crime, when it comes to border security, when it comes to inflation, when it comes to the economy. Those are the top issues. In between there is fear of losing democracy. Both sides have the equal fear and distrust to the other, fear of losing to the other. Not a good sign for the country, but they, they cancel each other out. The thing that they want to run on is abortion and Trump, and it's not working out. It should not be a surprise. I don't blame the president for trying to spin, but just understand it is spin. Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, uh, mgoodwin underscore New York NY Post. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. president's trying to say it's seesawing, but it's sawing right. Uh, his hopes is being sawn right off. You know, Brian— <clears throat> If the Democrats were to hold either or both houses uh, in this election, I think it would be a devastating statement about where the country is. I know. Because if if the kind of failure that we're seeing before us is not punished at the ballot box by voters, then I think uh, a lot of people are either not voting, they've given up, or they're so cynical that they will vote only for their party uh, rather than for the country. I mean, you cannot look at the results of just two years of Democratic control and say, yeah, we're on the right course. I mean, there's nothing about any of their major pieces of legislation, any parts of their agenda that would tell you they're on the right course. And so if this is not uh, if, if, the, if this is not bad enough to turn out people who, who, want, who believe America can do better, then I don't know what would. I don't know how far this country would have to sink to wake up people that we are headed in the wrong direction. There are enormous consequences to these uh, devastating policies down the road. I mean, that, that we can't even right. foresee. I mean, just the, the millions of people of illegal crossers coming across the border, how are we ever going to get that under control? How are we ever going to uh, have a plan to deal with those people who are already here, uh, those who are claiming asylum, roughly 85% of them uh, will be denied asylum. Is anybody going to uh, uh, deport them? I mean, is there any heart left in this government, or are we just going to roll over for this kind of nostrums about, you know, white racism, white power, white extremism, progressive ideas about the green energy, and we, what are we down to now, eight or nine years left before the whole earth explodes, supposedly? I mean, it's just so one piece of nonsense after another codified into legislation, turned into an agenda. And if that is not rebuked, then I'm not sure uh, where this country goes from here. Michael Goodwin, our guest. Michael, a couple of things. Uh, the things are trending away. And now even 538, uh, a left-leaning New York Times pollster, uh, Nate Silver, had 70 last week it was 70 percent chance democrats keep the senate now it's down to 55 percent and usually if everything's close it all goes one direction it doesn't usually split 50 50 politics different than sports in that way so those things are important but the other thing that's that's brewing out there is they're trying to have relevance to their catastrophe pointing out that inflation's up in western europe pointing out that it's higher slightly higher in canada not pointing out what role the policies played listen to this telling statement from james clyburn obviously he's getting a little bit older cut seven 
Well, let me make it very clear. All of us are concerned about these rising costs, and all of us knew this would be the case uh, when we put in place this recovery program. Anytime you put more money uh, into uh, the economy, uh, prices uh, tend to rise. So you knew exactly what you were doing. You lied when you said it was transitory. And you said, well, take inflation in order to get the credit for a lot of these social programs. That's a devastating confession there. And uh, we all knew, really, did Joe Biden know? I mean, he denied, you know, as you said, it was transitory. It wasn't going to last. It was, wasn't his fault. It was Putin's fault, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now you have a confession from the inner sanctum uh, we knew. I mean, that's pretty extraordinary. So over the weekend, an, an, a local New York story is national, and that is the surge of, Governor, uh, of Congressman Lee Zeldin on Governor Hochul. He was about 18 points behind. It was a tough, bruising primary. Couldn't consolidate the Republicans. Kept working, kept working. Crime kept rising. Inflation kept going up. Uh, taxes continued to rise. And all Governor Hochul did was consolidate money, special interests, and talk about abortion. And now, yes, over the weekend, she suddenly realized crime is an issue. Uh, most polls, they're in a virtual dead heat. Here's Lee Zeldin, cut 17. I say let's hire more cops. They're stretched thin. There's more people retiring, leaving the NYPD than we have seen in a long time. We should be hiring more. And instead, she's talking about forced overtime where she's going to be pulling cops from some other beat where they need to be doing their job over there in order to be in a subway. And she's not talking about actual catch and release policies, uh, releasing people early on parole who should remain behind bars. So are you you under the belief, Michael, you've seen so much in politics. Are you under the belief that New York would elect a Republican governor? Oh, I think it's entirely winnable for Lee Zeldin. I have felt that way all along, uh, even when the first uh, significant poll showed him down by 14. I thought that uh, that was a good poll for him, That uh, and this was several months ago, but that 14 points was certainly winnable. Look, there's no enthusiasm for Kathy Hochul, and Zeldin is right that this is, this is not about just having more police to make people feel better or make more arrests, because if the prosecutors aren't going to prosecute, if the judges don't have the authority to hold suspects based on how dangerous the judge deems them to be to society, then all the cops in the world won't make a difference. I mean, cops are not, you know, automatons. They go out there, they risk their lives every time they, they confront one of these people, one of these violent people. And if, if the system is just going to be uh, a turnstile where these people come in and go out right away, the cops are not going to make those arrests. I mean, why should they risk their lives? Why should they get into a confrontation? that uh, yeah. may end their careers, may injure them, uh, if, if society as a whole is not going to support them and not going to provide consequences for criminal behavior. I mean, that is the foundational question that Lee Zeldin is ra- raising here. If there is no consequence for criminal behavior,
behavior, then we're sunk. I mean, which goes back to our earlier discussion, Brian. If there is no consequence for these policies, then where does society go? Because we cannot continue mm-hmm. down this road. Absolutely. And I'd love to see, and you also mentioned this, about getting fracking going in upstate New York. If people don't know listening around the country, it's very rural upstate New York. Don't think the city, there's suburbs like Westchester, Long Island. Then it gets rural. Fracking would have revitalized it like it did Pennsylvania and Ohio. Impact studies showed no environment, negative environmental impact. And Governor Cuomo gave in to special interest and didn't do it. And now you have a Republican in there. Let's see if maybe he could do that and promise that and deliver that. It would just show you that practical politics works. Lastly, you wrote about uh, that there's more evidence of major corruption with Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, the big guy, and Jim Biden than there ever was with Russia collusion. What could that mean for the next two years if the Republicans take, uh, take the House and Senate? Well, Brian, Republicans in both houses have promised uh, very vigorous investigations of the Biden family. And if they live up to that, if they do take either or both houses, and if they do those investigations uh, uh, with subpoena power that they would have as the majority party, uh, I think the Bidens are in for a world of trouble. There's no question that Joe Biden was profiting from and, and assisting his son's businesses. And so when Joe Biden says, I never talked to my son about his business, a statement that is so ridiculous, and yet the White House to this day stands by it, that Joe Biden had never had a discussion with his son. It's so obvious a lie that you have to ask yourself, why would he sell such we an have it on tape. thing? We have it and on I tape. Think- the Washington Post story came out, son. It looks like you're in the clear. It's yes. on tape on voicemail. Yeah, that's right. And, and that was a significant story uh, about China. About, so, look, it is impossible to believe that if Joe Biden was getting some of this money, as Hunter Biden says he was in the emails where he says, Pop makes me give him half my salary, you see where Hunter Biden is paying family expenses for the Delaware homes, uh, then that means Joe Biden took money from our adversaries. Joe Biden took money from China. He took money from Russia. He took money from Ukraine. All of these places where Hunter went when Joe was vice president, that means Joe Biden got a cut. And we know from Tony Bobolinsky that Joe Biden was going to get a secret 10 percent cut of this big uh, – project they had in mind to take money from the Chinese. They got roughly $11 million the Biden family got from that venture. Did Joe get any of that money? This matters. This really matters. And this is far and away much more evidence than we ever had with Donald Trump and Russia. So the look, this clearly cries out for a special prosecutor. But Merrick Garland is not going to let this case Uh, be turned over to somebody honest and independent. He's going to fix this case. You watch, Brian. Hunter Biden, sometime after the election, assuming Republicans take one or both houses, sometime after the election, this case will go away. It will be closed 
things will be sealed. That's how I, that's how I think the Bidens uh, plan on this ending. They cannot let the Republicans see these records. They cannot let Hunter hang out there uh, without a settlement to his case. I think, I think Merrick Garland, uh, really uh, unfortunate, I think has weaponized the Justice Department. It is now the law enforcement arm of the Democratic Party. And it is a shame. But I think if Hunter Biden gets away with this, then Katie bar the door. The justice system is broken beyond repair. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. All right. one 866 408 you write me at Got an announcement. The paperback for President Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. It's going to be out tomorrow. You can pre-order now. A bendable, cheaper, with more information. Uh, in the epilogue, I just talk about, well, when the news came to history, taking down a Frederick Douglass's statue was replaced in Rochester, and then the same thing, they removed one that was dedicated by Frederick Douglass to Lincoln uh, in Massachusetts and almost took one out in Washington. Uh, how the history is part of the news, uh, that's all in the epilogue. So you go to briankillme.com. You can order it there and get it signed or wherever you get books. Uh, and also, this is uh, good news. On Thursday, I'm going to be at Barnes & Noble in Bayshore, Long Island. And on Saturday, going to be in Rochester in the afternoon, in the early evening, at Barnes & Noble over in Rochester. So hope to see you both in New York. And I'll be have more announcements. If you just click on Book Tour on my website, you'll find out where I'll be. And we're still adding some, some additions. So I have a chance to see you guys all in person. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. As with everything in America, it's not that people don't believe in science. It's just that they each have their own type of science that they believe in. (laughs) Their own personal truths. Right. I mean, the left loves to say the right didn't believe in science, and then I see them wearing masks outside. Uh, I'm so glad they laughed at that. People, some people still don't realize how idiotic it is to wear a mask outside. How dumb it was to put soccer and field hockey baseball players in masks on the field and letting them play. I mean, these were doctors. You and I probably don't know anything about that because we never wore a mask. And uh, maybe we did once if your child had to get, go to, get operated on. You have to go to, into an operating room. If you were doing I remember doing a story on that. That's the first time I ever wore a mask. But besides that, you would think doctors would know instinctively, uh, there's no sense wearing I don't care what pandemic we're under, 1918 or 2020, it doesn't matter. Masks don't work outside, but that's exactly what they had us doing. And now, just to relate to that, school, our, our numbers uh, have dropped significantly in, in terms of school achievement and understanding for fourth and eighth graders, mainly due to the pandemic. Big shocker. But now we find out that this is long-term effects unless we do something about it. Because we said you keep kids out of school. Don't tell me it's going to be equal education. There was no rush in so many of these states to get these kids back in school. You know, they were telling me over the weekend I was in Florida that their kids cumulatively missed two weeks, maybe the most six weeks, cumulatively. Uh, You know, once in a while they send the whole school home if they felt like there was a breakout. But for the most part, they went back and they feel like they didn't miss much. And they were able to do their sports everywhere else, totally destroyed these years. And maybe you had people uh, quit for good. 
And uh, there's, there's psychological damage there. But that's part of the new study. That's why I thought Tudor Dixon's idea, she's a gubernatorial candidate over in Michigan. She says there's so much pandemic money flowing in these states. And they're saying, give it to the cops. Yeah, give it to the cops. And for the other money, give it to tutoring. Any kid has a certain amount of money to tap into tutoring dollars, whether it's private or public. Make sure there's some type of certification. So, of course, beat the scammers, whether it's the learning center down your block or whether it's a teacher looking to make some extra money by maybe getting two or three of you. And they get paid a little bit extra from if you're going to give government funds on pandemic aid. Why not do it to actual learning instead of maybe washing down desks? It's always a good idea. Uh, Steve, listen to Fox News Radio app in Massachusetts. Hey, Steve. Hey, good morning, Brian. So, so Brian, I learned something. I learned something this weekend about about why crime is such a big deal um, in this election. I mean, we all know we see it on TV, but um, so we, me and my friends, have gotten together on the weekends. Now we we don't go out to eat. We're trying to save some money, even though we're we're fairly well off. We're trying to compensate for what everything is costing us because of inflation. So lo and behold, the wives had come up with this idea, you know, let's just rotate and we'll all go out once a month. So we're all sitting down talking about what's what do we think is the worst thing that's happened over the last two years and what issues are bothering us. Right. Mine is immigration, you know, on everybody had a different one. But my wife, she shocked us all. She said to me, I'm worried about when we go out and you intervening in a situation that's happening and getting critically injured or possibly killed. And I, I, we were all flawed. All the men were flawed by that. And lo and behold, what we found out is that our wives were actually talking about this behind, without us even but, knowing. But you know what? I'll give you an example, which you probably read. A 43-year-old man getting off a, a nighttime shift uh, steam fitter. He, gets, he sees a female cop getting beat up. He jumps in and gets stabbed in the neck and dies. And that, that's exactly what your wife's worried about. So, and the fact is, in New York City, you sound like you're from this area or you understand the area, with these subway systems, I mean, I don't, see, I don't really see much of a police presence anywhere. They said they're going to flood the zone. I don't see it. Uh, and I have great respect for police officers, but they've been totally defamed and diminished and defunded. And we lost, we're going to lose 4,000 who are retirement or quitting before the end of the year. That's almost his historic high. So that's interesting that they worry about intervening and being the third person in and then losing your life. Uh, thanks so much, Steve. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Mike Rowe is here. If you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, you uh, are watching him right now, and it was not a surprise to you. If you're not, you really have to go get it, although it's great to listen on your local affiliate. Uh, coming up this hour, Mike Rowe is here. Uh, Mike, you are the whole hour. You're kidding me. Well, I mean, you, I didn't book anybody else. Now, not that I wow. Can, not that I can't handle the show, but that means we're going to take calls. It's with strangers, people you haven't met yet. I have no Some idea. might be detractors. Who agreed to this? Uh, your people. When do I? Since when do I have people? Oh, you did. All right, I'm in. Good. What else would I do? Where else would I go? So Everywhere. I, <laughs> I mean, you got like nine shows. 
<laughs> and you got a foundation? Come on. Yeah, yeah. It's busy. It's right. busy. It's great. How America's back is back. How America works is back. I can't. I don't even know what my own shows are called anymore. I got five of them. You'll ask me over the course of the hour, and I'll be amusing. You'll see. I have a question to ask. Yeah. Would you like to hear the big three? <sighs> I kind of live for it. The, the, the big three are in my top three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Chinese leader, Xi Jinping, tightened his grip on power with a third five-year term in office. The event was highly choreographed, but there was one unusual moment with the country's former president, Hu Jintao, unexpectedly escorted out of the closing ceremony. Wouldn't that be bad? Around the world, as you just heard, there are a lot of questions about President Xi's plans for China's future. Russia is claiming Ukraine is preparing to launch a dirty bomb while losing land, including another major city in Kyrgyzstan. And North and South Korea exchange warning shots near, the, near their border amid tensions. I will bring you the details, and so will Mike. Number two. It's also a real condemnation of the teachers' union and their commitment to radical values rather than to effective education. That's going to be a big issue virtually everywhere in the country. Not surprising, it's still shocking. The results are in, and students of all ages suffered significant declines during the pandemic. Uh, Remote learning, as predicted, not too effective. Minorities, as projected, uh, really had it worse than others. We'll talk about who's to blame and how to fix it. Number one. Back and forth with them ahead, us ahead, them ahead, back and forth. And the polls have been all over the place. I think uh, that we're going to see one more shift back to our side the closing days. Yeah, they're ahead, Joe. Nice try. 15 days and counting. (laughs) And so many are saying this will be a red state tsunami, that they weren't saying that in July and August. Uh, The midterms are going their way because the issues are going their way and they're much more credibility at them. And as you know, Mike, it doesn't take a... A political scientists to know that crime matters, the border matters, inflation matters, the economy matters. And those are the top issues for this election. Abortion, the Dobbs decision, that's about seventh. Climate change, about 20th. That doesn't bode well just on, uh, on, on unsympathetic terms. I don't care where you're voting. It doesn't bode well for a Democrat. No, but the president makes a good point. You know, in a two-party system, you're always in the top three. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's always one way or another. I came in second everywhere. You know what? It's a, it was a great ad campaign. You'll remember it years ago. Uh, Avis was just getting into the game. And they were very, very competitive, you know, the rental car market. And nobody knew about them. And some guy came up with the slogan, we are number two. We try harder. We have to. Yeah. Well, they weren't number two. They weren't anywhere in the top 20. But in a year, they became number two. So you know what? The whole self-fulfilling prophecy thing, there's something to it. You say a thing out loud. Whatever it is, any of the topics you just mentioned, I think that's what we've been seeing as citizens for the last couple of years. We've been seeing very certain people say very specific things that are kind of unbelievable. Right. And then to our horror, in many cases— we start to see them unfold. So, so for example, this can't be Russian propaganda. This can't be the Chinese working behind the scenes. No, the economy is a challenge. Can't be. Inflation is abs- – I don't know. Wait a second. What was on Facebook? No, don't, I don't have to look at don't Facebook. Don't look over there. The border is the secure. Those people coming across right. in the tens of thousands, don't look at that. Just, just listen to what I'm telling you. And right. finally it mattered, and it did take somewhat of a stunt – 
to ship these illegal immigrants, might be greatest people in the world, might be the worst people in the world, to Martha's Vineyard. Until you bring it to the doorstep of the people causing the problem, they would not acknowledge the problem. And you've, I've been to the border. Have you been to the border? Yes. So you know what these people are? They're blue-collar people, yep. work hard for a living. There's not a lot of social things go, going on. And if you're a Border Patrol agent, you've given up a lot, making your families move down there. And then you find out you're overwhelmed, underappreciated, now being defunded while these people – Let's the country. We have no sense of it, right? I mean, look, the shows I work on, Dirty Jobs, How America Works, it, at base, they're designed to shine a spotlight on that which is typically out of sight and out of mind. Right. A couple years ago on another show called Returning the Favor, I went to Yuma just to profile a guy who had opened a gym who was trying to make his community a better place. To your point exactly, the, the vast majority of people in this country have no idea what a border town is. They have no idea the daily realities of trying to assimilate, of trying to handle it. And you're right. You can call it a stunt. You can call it a thing. But holy cow, it made people pay attention. And it made people ask and potentially answer a really important question, which is, why isn't every town a border town? It is. Why isn't every yeah. state a border state? And and why shouldn't it be? And how about looking around the corner, your policies – Uh, will perpetuate something. For example, if you do not enforce the border, the word gets out to Central and South American countries, even Sri Lanka they're coming across right now, India coming across. This is the one time to get through. And then if you are a sanctuary city, you think, wow, what a great-hearted city. What a great-hearted state Illinois is. Isn't that so nice of Chicago? (laughs) Well, guess what? Now you have 5,000 people who know there's no chance of being deported or reported. So guess what? You're going to have 10. You're going to have 15. And don't tell me that you don't have the money or the room. And that you're not, you're not responsible for the ramifications. You're absolutely responsible. The fundamental reason to, to take your medicine with regard to the shipping of migrants here and there is that we don't live in the independent states of America. We don't live in the disunited states of America. The states are united. And when, in my view, anyhow, when you're talking about an issue that impacts everybody in some way, shape, or form, it makes no sense to say, well, this is a sanctuary city and this is not. This, is, this state is this, this is not. Of course states have their rights and their governors and their policies, but this is a top-line national issue, and right. we, can't, we can't be divided on it. Uh, we can't, and the one thing that I was wondering if we could have, and I've brought this up before and no one really takes me up on it, could you ever run for office, win an office big or small, by saying we have to work harder? We have to be more responsible. You have to put in that extra effort on a daily basis, the stuff that you might be telling uh, a sports team, but we need to tell it to the American people. There's glory and effort. Sure. Um, not all the time, but from time to time, usually right in the wake of a thing going splat, I think you'll find people looking around for something that's truly authentic. And most authentic things hurt, right? There was a movie, I think Warren Beatty was in it, called Bullworth. Remember, he is a guy who decides to I think he's diagnosed as terminal and he says, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to run for office. And as he runs for office, he just says anything he wants. He tells the absolute unvarnished, politically incorrect truth about everything. And he winds up getting elected. Right. Because people are just so starved for it. I'm not running for anything except another season of how America works on Fox Business. So I don't have to worry about this. But, you know. I'm I'm very mindful of the fact that right now, yeah, somebody could get elected simply by saying there's no shortcut, folks. Shortcuts lead to long delays. 
Mm-hmm. And right now, we are surrounded by long delays. So you're going to have to show up early. You're going to have to stay late. You're going to have to take a bite of the poop sandwich when it comes around. I've, I've not heard outside that John Kennedy line, don't ask what America could do for you, ask you to do for your country. Outside that, I have never heard anything like it. I've that, never heard anything like it except blame somebody right. for both sides. Right. Blame the other person. I never heard take responsibility. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, you brought up how America works. America should know we have a brand new season ready to roll out. Uh, Mike Works Foundation uh, is something else we had to Mike worry Rowe about. Mike Works, for God's sakes. How many shows? Have they, how many times do I have to do your show before you get the name of my foundation right? Before you just nail it on the first take? Wait a second. How America Works is not the name of it? That's the name of the show. The foundation is Mike Rowe Works. Oh, yeah. Don't make me come over there. It's my fault. It was written right. <laughs> I, I, it's, uh, I might have. I got to blame somebody, right? I mean, I'm not saying that I'm for that take responsibility thing. Ask not what you can do for Mike Rowe's career. Ask what Mike Rowe can do for yours. Right. That's an easy one to get messed up. So don't put that in your inaugural. I uh, can get it backwards. And by the way, Fox Business, 8 o'clock. Mike, it was right there. It was right there. It was, I mean, it's not like it was written wrong. No, look. I would it, love to blame somebody. These are confusing times at the risk of some <laughs> real shameless plugger. You've got How America Works on Fox Business. You've got Mike Rowe Works online, the foundation. You've got Dirty Jobs on Discovery Channel. You've got the story behind the story on TBN. You've got a new line of whiskey called Noble for my granddad, which raises money for the aforementioned foundation. And, of course, you have my podcast, The Way I Heard It, which is easy to find wherever you look for podcasts. So I can understand why you were confused. Who makes up your things-to-do list on a daily basis? Um, we have just – we put a lot of words into a uh, like a bingo thing, and we turn it. Ah. And when- <laughs> I mean, how do you know? Like, for example, let's say you're, you're never really off. No, are you? never. Never, never, never. Look, I was off. Do you from, know what you're doing tomorrow? Uh, I'm here again tomorrow, and then I think I go to Nashville, and then we do some very important work in Nashville, the nature of which escapes me at the moment. But I will circle back before the end of the hour and spell it out for you. But, but someone else will say to this, this is how important it is, Mike, and this is exactly what you're doing. Somebody will grab me, typically Mary, my business partner, and she'll just say, hey, in the next 15 minutes, this, this, and that are going to happen. Don't screw it up. Don't right. should, should give me a quick slap. Right. Focus. And so I've become fairly adroit in, 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 in small bits, short-term bits of creating the illusion of competence. You and might not remember this, mm-hmm. but it was probably 10 years ago or maybe more where you said to me, I'm tired of working for people, yeah. that you just wanted to do your own thing. Yeah. Now, I don't care how the, way the chips fall, let it fall where they may, but you wanted to call your own shots. Was it because of a bad experience or just an aspiration? Or Well, it was, I mean, it was a little naive because you can't do that. First of all, you can't, you can't really do it alone. But what, what you can do is try and figure out how many unnecessary parts are between you and the people that you truly work for. And the people you truly work for are the people who are listening to this right now. They're the people who listen to your stuff and they watch your shows, right? Without an audience. That's right. And so, yes, you need a network or a podcast platform or a studio or maybe you need an agent or a manager. So that's, But do you really, right? So everything for me just became a question of what's the best way to live in both worlds? So on Dirty Jobs, for instance, to this day, every show I do is, is suggested by a viewer. They program the show. They essentially host the show. And so what I meant to you 10 years ago was, I don't mind being a host. I'm, I'm okay at it. But I think I'm a better guest. I think I'm a better avatar. So like, if I can go out into the world right. and actually work with somebody who does know what they're doing, you know, that, that, was, that was the secret sauce. And so in some way, shape, or form, I, I try and 
I try and do that with whatever project is in hand. But it also lets you do it the way you want to do it. So Mostly. someone someone else looking over your shoulder going, yeah, Mike, not good enough. Or we want that shorter. I want this longer. Yeah. Or uh, don't wear that jean shirt. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> well, it happens, but it happens in a good-natured – look, you don't provide options. I, I don't have a backup shirt, right? So I, <laughs> I spilled coffee on this shirt today. Right. I'm going to spend the rest of the day with a coffee stain. That's stamp. stress. And the other thing I did years ago that mattered was I insisted on hiring a behind-the-scenes camera to document any show that I was working on. And I insisted on using footage from that camera in the final cut of the show. So viewers started to see how the sausage was made, and they started to see me out in the world trying to get the show together that they themselves wanted me to do. And so... That's what I mean by working for the viewer. That camera, we, could, we didn't even call it a behind-the-scenes camera. We called it a truth cam on Dirty Jobs because I could always look to it. I always knew it would be rolling. And in those little moments of unapologetic verisimilitude and truth, I would tell the viewer exactly what's going on in the course of making the show. That's the thing that really gave me permission to do things a little differently. Two two words, verisimilitude. That's one word. That was no two words you said. Uh-huh. Uh that was in my vocabulary tapes. Mm. I had I had cassette tapes to expand my vocabulary. Nice. And that was one of the words. Good. I haven't heard it since. Good. Uh and adroit was an SAT word. Uh-huh. Because I started studying words one at a time, mm-hmm. which is really ridiculous. And adroit was one of the first words I had to learn because it was going to be in the SATs. It's, it's a good it word. It was not on the SATs. That's too bad. I felt like a waste of my time. Up until this moment, I had wasted my time. But now— It pays off. It, now it did. Yes. That, when, that, that, when we came back, how one of your shows helped me with one of my shows. Hmm. How about that for well, a tease? that's a tease. Good Let's one. see if the truth cam would pick that up. Very adroit. Uh, by the way, <laughs> that's true. Uh, how America Works is on Fox Business Mondays, every Monday. And today's Monday, 8 o'clock Eastern— Back in a moment. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. A few more uh, minutes and then a, then a little longer segments with Mike Rowe. So, Mike, your Six Degrees show. Mm. So when I go on uh, stage, I did it for the first time in Albany. I'll do it two more times on, on November 12th and 13th and then December 2nd. Instead of just going through the different points in history where I find that news people like history and able to do it in a conversational way to push back on 1619, I thought, wouldn't it be great if I got uh, two of my uh, friends who are stand-up comedians, the MC to reenact great moments in history behind, mm-hmm. and I would visit, step in and out of it. And I totally watched your Six Degrees show where you would step in and out of history, sometimes in front of a green screen, sometimes in front of actors, and mm-hmm. got that idea. I found the audience loves it. Yeah, you stole it from me, and I stole it from a guy named James Burke who had a great show in the late 70s called Connections. And, you know, my way of thinking about history, and I know we share a lot of the uh, – the same views on this is you it's a story obviously and you have to make it relevant and sometimes you just you just kind of have to take the seriousness out of it yeah and so if you look at like like Ridley Scott's take on uh Gettysburg you know and and if you look at some of the stuff on history and discovery big beautiful recreations done as 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 cinematically 
well as a thing can be done. Well, how do you compete with that, right? You can try, but 99% of people are going to fall short. You're going to fall short, so why try? So (laughs) that's right. I hired um, my best friend from high school to play 35 different roles in this show called Six Degrees and basically a bunch of community theater type people. And you just drop the pretense. It's like, I got a barn. You got some costumes. Hey, let's put on a show. And so you create these really important moments in time, and you just walk right through them yep. like, like Zelig, and you keep telling your story. And you're right. People dig it because you're not trying to sell them something. You're trying to entertain them as you inform. Brandon, Mississippi, yeah, the 12th. On the 13th, Tulsa, Oklahoma, we'll be traveling. You can come with us. I have a Thanks. station wagon. I'll be there. Uh, I got the seat that faces backwards. You got the wood on the side? Yes. You got the way back right, so seat? Some right. of it is worn off a little bit, <laughs> and some of the molding. Not only do they have wood, but they put molding around the wood, which is of amazing. Course, of course. They took a bad living room <laughs> right, and then right, put right. it on your station wagon. Uh, by the way, how great was it just to point the kids backwards in the front? The, the oh, just, front just, just face the other way. Don't right. even look at us. Right. That's <laughs> called the cannon. You shot out of a cannon like the circus. Uh, and then on December 2nd, be in Newark, New Jersey, because that's where the hot pet of my support is. In Newark. In Newark, New Jersey, yeah. Well, you know, it's important but to know the, where your At the New Jersey uh, Performing Arts Center. Awesome. And that's where arts perform. And I prefer him to go there. Well, I, w- I would like to come see one of these shows in person right. so I can, uh, you know, arrange my legal case since you ripped me off shamelessly. Right. But maybe go to all three and really build a case against me. That would send a message. <laughs> <laughs> More with Micro. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Our eyes were open during the pandemic to what was going on, but the school system, one of the things they're doing is changing the way they grade. So equity grading, um, not letting kids fail. So after the pandemic, they were bragging about how high the graduation rates were. Well, come to find out you couldn't fail. And so instead of spending the resources and the time on helping those kids learn and helping them gain the skills they need, they're just spinning the story to make it look like they have mastered it. And that's not fair to those kids. I mean, education is so important for kids to rise up. Yeah, you would think so. And that is just a that is a parent over in Fairfax County, Virginia, talking about how alarmed they were about what's going on with their schools and using the metrics there. So far, in terms of math and science, we had an an English. We had an unprecedented drop in production and comprehension and they're blaming the pandemic, but we're heading in that direction to start with. Mike Rowe with us, Mike Rowe Works Foundation. Thank Nailed you. it. Uh, he's the host and narrator, executive producer of How America Works, which is on airs tonight at 8 o'clock. But I wanted to bring the schools in because what's happening in schools right now is breeding what's going to happen in our workforce. And we're also going over something that Allison pulled out about uh, the work ethic in America and that you brought up something on Fox and Friends. that I did not know we don't do this anymore. Yeah. We don't do this grades and attitude and how hard you're working. You know, you got an A, but you got a five in attitude. That's trouble. You got a C, but you got a, a number a one in attitude. That's great. Yeah. Uh, let's maybe, you know, maybe you just need extra help here. Well, you can call it attitude. You can call it effort. You know, when I was in uh, school, you would get a grade for your effort and you would get a grade for your actual accomplishment. And those two things were were looked at at the same time. It was important. Like if you got an A for effort and a C for achievement, well, then you got a lot of credit because you busted your ass, right? Yep. You were trying, and that mattered. Now, if you get a C for effort and an A, well, it's like, okay, so he's kind of mailing it in, but he's so smart, 
Uh, you know, so you one day it's going to catch up to you. That's yeah. right. So you sit down and you, and you get a different talk. Today we don't do that at all. And part of the reason, in my view, that we don't talk about effort or attitude is the same reason we don't talk about work ethic or delayed gratification or personal responsibility or all that other happy Horatio Alger stuff that a lot of us grew up with that has now been deemed either problematic like ambition, or triggering. Like ambition, ambition that, yep. drive. You, you don't use those words at major corporations anymore? A year ago, I read a thing about – it was Lockheed Martin who affirmatively said we don't use terms in the office like work ethic because it's problematic for some people because baked into it is the suggestion that if you lack it, you might be lazy. Well, yes, yes, in fact, that – that is a thing, right. but 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 That's lazy. Choice. But but lazy is a word we don't use either, because some people who might be exhibiting traits of laziness might, in fact, be wrestling with some sort of problem that's not so readily apparent. All a long way of saying you can't possibly grade or evaluate a person's effort if you're not allowed to use the very words that right. define it. So here's a and add this whole thing from the National Assessment of Education Progress did fourth and eighth graders. Overall, in fourth graders, math down five points, reading down three points. The eighth graders, math down eight points, reading down three points. I saw it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had the best students in the world. They couldn't pay attention on Zoom. And then my uh, my sister-in-law is a grade school teacher. She teaches, I think, second or third graders. Right. You know how hard it is to get a second or third grader to pay attention at all? <laughs> and then the parents who may, might be working two jobs to have a parent conference via Zoom? Yeah. Obviously, you thought it was going to suffer, which just blows me away because over the weekend, or excuse me, last Thursday, the CDC came out with recommendations. The CDC came out with recommendations that we believe these kids should get a vaccine shot in order to get it school, like polio, rumella, or mm-hmm. rheumatic fever, whatever you get right now, that should be part of it. Well, there's a lot of people that don't want any part of this vaccine that's a, yes, in a, a, just about a year old no. that are going to have to be either forced to drop out or go somewhere else. So this is going to create great uh, derision and perhaps a boycott or perhaps mask wearing. Dr. Scott Gottlieb weighed in on this craziness that's going to be bestowed on all of us. Cut 31. So what got started on Twitter initially was that the uh, CDC recommendations automatically translate into state mandates, which is not true. Um, One of the reasons why the CDC went ahead and made this formal recommendation is that it also allows the vaccines to be incorporated into the Vaccines for Children's program, which provides federal funding for indigent kids to get access to vaccines. And so that's part of the impetus. But Mm -hmm. there will be no state mandates. But if you look at the... What's going on with Moderna and with Pfizer, people are saying, are they looking to make money by giving these kids shots that they don't need? I just saw, I think it was Pfizer, a big uh, conference a couple days ago in Holland, and one of the muckety-mucks there said, look, we never, ever said that these vaccines were going to impact transmissibility. We never weighed in on that at all. And I looked at that and I thought, boy, you know what? A lot of people are going to feel fundamentally deceived. But it's all of a piece, right? I mean, I, I, I'm i certainly not an expert in any of it, but I know that a lot of parents I talk to, the vaccine issue, the work ethic issue, the slipping of the standards issue, uh, all of it rolled up together is is a really unattractive, frightening thing. They don't... And two, you know, when we talk about the Zoom thing, I, I wanted to say it earlier, it's like... We know that it's the only thing we can do during a lockdown. It's, it's, it's better than nothing. But it wasn't sold as better than nothing. It was sold as this is just as good. In yes. fact, it might even be better. 
right? It was served up with with such uh, – it was so oversold as a happy solution to this terrible problem when, in fact, they should have just told us the truth. They should have just said, listen, if you – if you're preparing for a long walk and you don't have the proper hiking boots, here's a pair of slippers. Now, they're not hiking boots. They're not nearly as good as that reinforced ankle and that steel toe and so forth and so on. But it's better than bare feet. So let's hold our nose and get through this as quickly as we can. But we didn't. We looked at that pair of slippers and said, it's just as good as the other thing. Right. And, and it, it clearly isn't. And what no. you lose with the, uh, the human interaction and the competition, I think we just got to compete again. I mean, if you want to say that there was too emphasized on winning, they should be more emphasized on competing. That's what I thought we were going to be talking about. If you don't come in first now, your glory is delayed. You competed. You gave it your all. We used to talk about that. Well, what is a winner uh, as opposed to if you compete as hard as you can and lose? Or you That used to be the conversation. Now it's where if you bring up winning, that's an issue. That's right. Now we don't have standing in sports and, and could just escalate down that way, which brings me back to this. If, if this election – reinforces the whole gender fluidity, if it reinforces uh, the whole socialist expending, if it reinforces the the workforce participation being at 62%, which is a historic low, which is going to keep on talking about unemployment, which drives you nuts, I know, because Mm -hmm. unemployment is very low, but you don't think it really even matters today. Then I think the ripple effect will be bad. But if it does, if there is a tsunami the other way, maybe the other party will correct. You're basically saying the bad news is the good news because ultimately we have to get through it, right? As Churchill said, when you're, when you're going through hell, keep going. It has, to, it has to go splat. Now, what does splat look like? I'm not entirely sure. But I do think with regard to that workforce participation rate, that to me is the most chilling metric of all. It's more chilling than the latest report card because it it's an indication of what's to come. Now, Nick Eberstadt, who was just on my podcast, and you should have him on your show, wrote a book a few years ago called Men Without Work. He's just put it out again because what's happened post-pandemic is unprecedented. Seven million able-bodied men between the ages of 25 and 54 are not only not working, they are affirmatively not looking for work. They've punched out. They're done. The vast majority of them spend over 2,000 hours a year on screens. Now, I'm going to get a lot of pushback for this because people will say, well, you're just calling lots and lots of people lazy. No, I'm not. I'm saying that the unemployment rate is an artifact left over from the Depression era when we tried to make sense of what was happening in our economy during a time when we explained unemployment by a lack of opportunity. Today, you have 11 million open jobs. You have 7 million able-bodied men sitting it out. So what's really happening in the country now that scares me, Mm -hmm. right to my core, fundamentally, is that we've never had so much unrealized opportunity and so little enthusiasm for it. And you brought up, too, the whole thing where welfare has to be workfare. And the Clinton understood that, and they compromised with Republicans that if you're going to get welfare, you're going to have to work for it. You have to prove that you're working for it when possible. Obviously, a single mom might have some different uh, – there's different circumstances. Of the other problem that you brought up in the break, which I don't think ever is discussed, is disability. Yeah. Are you really disabled mm. or, or you know, are you collecting disability? So Nick Eberstadt would say the overwhelming majority of people who are collecting disability 
the overwhelming majority are back pain and mental anguish, the two forms that are the most difficult to prove or quantify. Now, that doesn't, I'm not suggesting that people collecting disability are gaming the system. I'm not going to say that out loud. But Nick told me that the overwhelming majority of money that goes over the transom are for those two areas. Now, look. Someone's paying for that. So So that comes out of where micro works. (laughs) Sure. It comes out of uh, everybody here that works at Fox News. If you do do the – you add it up, federal and state taxes and city taxes, almost 60 percent of your paycheck is taken out in cities like this, Mm -hmm. in New York City, in Chicago and others. In Philadelphia, taxes through the roof. And what are you getting for your money? People are running for the hills because of that. People are also looking around, and I think, look, I'm not a – justice is justice. I get suspicious of it whenever you put a word in front of it, you know, right? whether it's criminal or social. It it's just starts to get a little weird. But fundamentally, people are desperate for fairness. To your point, if we are going to pay someone not to work, then we better – be convinced that they can't. Right. We we need to know that we're saving them so we can at least right. have the upside that comes from being a good of. guy. Right. That's right. But I my feeling is lots and lots and lots and lots of people are starting to look around and saying, we are graduating kids who can't read. We have lowered our standards to the point where everybody's going to get through the school and now it's going to be somebody else's problem. That is attached to 7 million able-bodied men choosing not to work. And we did tell people two years ago, go home unless you're essential. Yeah. And we will pay for your job, your company, the PPP loans, all well intended, I believe. Maybe. And then all of a sudden they go, okay, we're going to continue that a little bit longer, six, two weeks or six weeks to stop the spread, whatever it was. And it'll be in two years. There's no... There's and then the money never stopped, and, and the rent right. was frozen, and the student loans were frozen. And now you got to rip a Band-Aid off, and there's no playbook for how to do it, to the point where lots of people at Apple got together and signed basically a demand letter, remember, about a month ago, and sent it to Tim Cook and basically said, we're not coming back to the office, and here's why. A lot of people have done that. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Atlas Shrugged. Basically, at some point, a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of job creators are going to look around and say, look, that's that's not the deal. That's not what I signed on for either. So that's what I meant before. So how many workers do you have in MicroWorks? Eight, yeah. seven or eight people. What if it, you know them all well? Right? Oh, yeah, very well. They're right. amazing. What if they just said to you, yeah, we were talking. We're not coming to work. We're not going to be traveling. We're going to be able to zoom in. We're going to do site surveys from FaceTime. Yeah. Um, well, we'd have to have a conversation about right. that. Right, and I you suppose. couldn't, your company couldn't exist. No. At what point are big corporations and small companies and production companies like yours going to say, uh, "I don't have a choice. I'll be politically correct. Go put, you know, go sue me. Yeah. You got to go back to work." Well, Price Waterhouse and others. That, I- that's the splat. It'll it'll trickle up to there, but right now, talk about construction. I can't. I know a lot of people in construction. I don't know of a single. I don't know of a single construction company who couldn't hire 30% more people than really? they currently have on the payroll right now. Not a single one. And I, I, I promise you, it, it's every single year we give away a few hundred work ethic scholarships. And at the top of the list, it's always the same. It's plumbers. It's steam fitters. It's welders. Mm-hmm. Right? It's these uh, – and every – for every five tradespeople who retire this month – Two will replace them. That is terrible arithmetic. 
And it's been, it's been like that for 10 years, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And as we look to bring manufacturing back as a country, because what's happening with China, macroeconomics, we're realizing we've got to bring – and these microchips are the first. Now we're going to start looking to bring manufacturing back, if not here, close to here. Yeah. Then we're going to ask people to start doing the manufacturing, and they've got to show up again. They have to be willing to do it. Look, I, how dependent – I, I want to be part of the world. I want to be connected to other economies. I want to trade freely and fairly. But how dependent do you want to be on China? How reliant do you want to be regarding your pharmaceuticals, regarding your vaccines, regarding your clothes, regarding your microchips, every single thing? Every, there's, right. there's, I'm going I'm to tell you what I learned at NASA when we come back about manufacturing, why it has to be on site. Something that micro doesn't – I wouldn't be surprised if this ended up on one of your shows <laughs> as your idea because you, because you feel as if you want to get Count back on. at me. You owe me one. Yeah, I do. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, uh, we are back, Micro here, Micro Works Foundation. Uh, he's also uh, excited because a brand new season of How America Works is out. Uh, Fox Business tonight at eight o'clock every Monday night. Uh, so, Mike, you got the old series, you got the new series. You also have something I've been calling, and I have that story to tell you. So, don't take up the whole segment. Um, <laughs> but you also said to yourself, "I like drinking liquor. Why don't I have my own?" <laughs> I did a show ten years ago called "How Booze Built America." for discovery and it rated off the charts and yes it's true i enjoy a a libation at the end of a long day but my granddad carl noble uh dirty jobs was for him so is my foundation k-n-o-b-e-l and uh he had girls when he died his name died with him so uh noble tennessee whiskey we launched it about a year ago as a fundraiser for the foundation and uh i thought it was just going to be you know a thing to do well man People like it, and now we're getting on shelves, and so I'm that guy. I looked around, Brian, and I said, you know what this country needs? Another B-list celebrity with a line of booze. Really? That's a good revelation. (laughs) (laughs) Remind me to meditate like that and come up with something like that. But no, it's great. But you say it's great whiskey. Oh, it's amazing. Look, it's five-year-old Tennessee whiskey. And um, look, this will sound horribly self-serving, but the nicest thing I've ever heard consistently from fans of Dirty Jobs and whatnot is – I'd like to sit down and just have a drink with you someday and just, you know, have a conversation. No links. So at this point in my life, it's like, you know what? I'd like to do that too. Right. <laughs> with my drink. <laughs> with my drink. So that's the American spirit. So, Mike, here's my story that you're thirsting to get out in the air. Yes, please. Right. So I'm at NASA, and we're talking about Mars, their next mission, and they got to make rovers to be able to go deep into these crevices. And they came up with this new, uh, this new bot or whatever it is to be able to do it like never done before. And it's ready to go and be a prototype and ready mm-hmm. to go to manufacturing. I said, where are you going to do it? He goes, here. I said, why? He said, what no one realizes that when you, uh, when you outsource manufacturing, you're not there to make the adjustments, hear the complaints, hear, hear about the imperfections. You get reports. But once you sell the rights, you've given up ownership. even if you pretend not. And he wants it here in America, and he says that's what's got to happen. You lose quality when you give it to somebody else, even if you get a cheaper product. The real thing that I take from your story that's encouraging are the innovators at NASA, nose rings, 28 years old, right? Right. Side by side with the suits. Yes. Right? And they appreciate each other. Yes. Two sides of the same coin. you got to have it. But we dress too much alike. We do. Right. So one of us got to get a nose ring. 
to prove your theory. I get, you know what? I just take mine out of my navel and run it straight through the schnoz. Now I'm sick. <laughs> From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Angel Earhart's going to be joining us in about 15 minutes. And Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour to break down our election coverage. 15 days into the magic day. Governor Asa Hutchinson standing by. So it's going to be a great hour. So glad you are here. Uh, I know if uh, in New York people are waiting for the Yankees to wake up. Bad news. They decided not to. Swept by the Houston Astros. The good news for New Yorkers. I was able to go out to the WOKV listeners. I'm a big fan of Jacksonville Jaguars, but a bigger fan of the Giants. Uh, they were able to put a magical game at, uh, in, in Jacksonville. was there yesterday. So it was great to see so many uh, fans of the radio show in person. It's always uh, thrilling to know that everyone listens at 104.3 uh, out in WOKV. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. The Chinese leader, Xi Jinping, tightened his grip on power with a third five-year term in office. The event was highly choreographed, but there was one unusual moment with the country's former president, Hu Jintao, unexpectedly escorted out of the closing ceremony. It was dramatic, and it reminded me of Saddam Hussein when he, when he became president and just everybody else that ran against him or was not a, a supporter were taken out and executed. Uh, I'm not sure this guy was killed, but he's not around anymore. Around the world, just as you just heard, there are a lot of questions about President Xi's plans for China's future. Guess what? It's global dominance, and we have to be ready for that fight. Russia is also claiming Ukraine is preparing to launch a dirty bomb, and North and South Korea exchange warning shots right near their border. Besides that, not much going on. Number two. It's also a real condemnation of the teachers' union and their commitment to radical values rather than to effective education. That's going to be a big issue virtually everywhere in the country. Uh, that is Newt Gingrich, and he sees where the selection's going and also where education's going. Not surprising, yet still shocking. The results are in. The students of all ages suffering significant declines due to pandemic remote learning, as predicted. Minorities and low income, sadly, the greatest decline. Number one. It's been back and forth with them ahead, us ahead, them ahead, back and forth. And the polls have been all over the place. I think uh, that we're going to see one more shift back to our side in the closing days. No, there's no up and down. It's going against you, and it's the red tsunami that's reconfiguring itself. 15 days and counting. Uh, and we are seeing now that so many issues are going the Republicans' direction and how Dems sold out their he- are now have sent out their heavyweights to change the messaging. What do I mean by heavyweights? I'm talking about Barack Obama. Uh, he's been asked to come out and campaign. Michelle Obama asked to come out. Barack Obama is going to Chicago, Michigan, Nevada, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. I don't think Joe Biden's going anywhere. He showed up in Pennsylvania. It looks like uh, John Fetterman didn't even want him there. He walked into a room with him and sat in the back of the room. So I don't know why we bothered to do that. He raises money, but he's not popular. Voter enthusiasm, here's the good news. Most of you listeners, Democrats and Republicans, 70% are excited to vote. Why? You both list the same reason. You think the others uh, have the democracy, dem- democracy under threat. Isn't that odd? 
Both of you are convinced, Republicans and Democrats, that the other one's a threat to the other one. So that's why you're motivated to vote. The question is, will you? And so far, more than 7.5 million people have already cast a ballot on an off-year election, on a midterm election. That is stunningly good 15 days into the big day. And now let's go to Governor Governor Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas, whose term limited out many people think might be running for president. Governor, so far it seems the polls are revealing that crime, the border, the economy, and inflation, it looks like the American people trust Republicans with those issues more than Democrats. What do you think that means for the midterms? Well, I think we've got momentum for the uh, midterms. Uh, If you'd asked me six months ago, I would have been doubtful about uh, us winning the Senate. I think we're in a good position to do that, and partly it's because uh, our candidates are out there talking about each one of those issues from uh, the high energy costs that we have, uh, but it's also our solutions that helps us to uh, provide answers to that. I mean, it's a, it's a comprehensive energy policy that we have. Uh, when you look at crime, uh, governors lead, and we're able to to be able to to uh, fight the crime uh, from a local basis, we understand border security. Uh, I was under Secretary of Border Security at Homeland Security. I understand that issue, and it is out of control, and that's what's leading to crime today. So I think we're well positioned for uh, the uh, midterms. More optimistic because our candidates are talking about uh, what people are concerned with at the kitchen table. Two issues are revealing that Democrats know a lot more how to stop the uh, the, board, the broken border than they're letting on. They have started a remain in Mexico policy for Venezuelans. It's already working. And when having it, the frustrated Arizonans have decided to put shipping containers on the border because they wouldn't finish the fence, that, the wall that we all paid for. So they put shipping containers to block the influx of illegals. And the federal government is suing to have them removed. Why would you want them removed if it helps keep people, uh, illegals, coming to this country? Well, you wouldn't. And uh, Governor Ducey has stepped up to the plate. He's uh, taking action as a governor to protect uh, the border, doing a job that uh, the federal government should be doing. Uh, You know, Governor Abbott has done the same way. As governor, I've sent uh, our National Guard there to be supportive uh, of our border security. But it's a... It's a federal government responsibility, and they're not doing it. Uh, We've got to have asylum reform so that we're not simply releasing them when they make an asylum claim into our country, uh, pending a court case that uh, might come a year later and they don't show up for. We have to be able to process those immediately. Uh, It's the cartel that we have to go after, and that is in cooperation with Mexico, but the cartel is controlling too much. We've got to have a comprehensive plan. We've got to have leadership, and the president is simply not providing that. Well, uh, I know, too, you're trying to tackle some major issues now that you're term limited out in Arkansas, and it looks like Sarah Huckabee Sanders is in good shape to replace you, which I'm sure you'd be uh, happy about as a fellow Republican. But you also put together a summit to to tackle some of the leading issues facing this country. Here's a little of that summit. Betsy DeVos was there, and it talked about what's gone on, the suffering of kids and their academic performance during the pandemic. Cut 25. The pandemic laid bare the failings of a system that has long been behind the curve. Parents had a front row seat to see what their children were or weren't learning. Many of them were very upset, and rightfully so. So this window of opportunity to 
support policy change is very real right now. Did you get any bipartisan solutions? Well, I think school choice is a bipartisan solution. Uh, You have uh, the unions don't support it. Uh, but whenever you look at uh, minorities, those that uh, families that have been trapped in a failing school, they understand uh, choice and being able to have a child that gets a good education and be able to get outside of the school district that's not working for them. And uh, and so they don't care whether it's Democrat or Republican, but Republicans are pushing it more. And I think this is something that really is important. And you mentioned our summit. We had a great education panel, and Governor Ducey joined us for that, but also talked about our national security issues. We talked about investing in middle America. So I do love that whole concept of let's provide solutions. And three weeks out from election, now two weeks, uh, is very, very timely. So, in fact, here is Governor Ducey talking about not everybody's got to go for college. Cut 29. When we were in high school, there was a class called SHOP, and many people found their purpose and and their passion in that class and turned it into a paycheck. And the smartest guy on my floor at at university who went on, you know, magna cum laude to very competitive law school and came back to Arizona, helped me in the campaign, called me up in my second year. And so he was talking about what I was just talking to Mike Rowe about earlier. Uh, the need for blue-collar workers. You can make a ton of money now more than ever, and there should be glory in the craftsmen. Well, there's pride in workmanship, and we have to get back in America to we make things, we build things. Uh, you know, Arkansas is number six in the nation, percent of our workforce that has experience in manufacturing, and uh, we're bringing it back. Uh, but it takes the skilled workforce, and we are investing in that. Obviously, Governor Ducey is, and the panel talked about that. As Americans, we want to be able to produce, to manufacture, and our kids' college is great. I went to college. I hope kids uh, have that opportunity, but there's choices, and the choice is uh, that professional career, whether it's computer science and technology or whether it is uh, being a machinist. Uh, We need those, and it brings dignity, and And that's the fundamental point is that there is dignity in work and we need to encourage uh, that hard work, the entrepreneurship, those things that qualities that really made our country great. And the young people need to understand that they've got a future in that. Understood. Governor, when are you going to decide if you're going to run for president? Well, you know, uh, obviously, uh, that's important to me, the direction of our country. I think I've got incredible experience for that, but we want to win this midterm. And so after the turn of the year, uh, I think we're going to be getting serious about 2024. And uh, uh, I want to make sure that uh, whether I'm in Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina, that uh, I'm bringing a message of common sense conservatism. I think that's what our party and our country needs, and I hope to be a part of that. Thanks so much, Governor. Um, um, You'll be a a great candidate, certainly have the credentials to make some noise. Uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson, thanks so much. Hey, thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. You got it. When we come back, Ainsley Earhart joins us. Her book remains number one on the kids' list, beating J-Lo. It's uh, I'm So Glad You Were Born. Ainsley and then Brett Baer. I'm so glad you're here. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Education has really come to the forefront. I think that that is what parents most care about going into the next election cycle. And we don't care what letter is after the candidate's name. We just want to see somebody who's going to prioritize students' needs and return the focus to academics, which in public education, for some reason, we're kind of leaning away from academics and we need to bring it back. Uh, That is one of the panelists that showed up at Ainsley's that was asked, invited at Ainsley's Parent Council to talk about what the coming out of the pandemic with the greatest concerns are. Ainsley Earhart, whose book is number one in children's books now for three straight weeks. I'm so glad you were born, which is beating Jayla. I right? know. And wait, what other famous um, person? Is there another famous person? Is it Reese Witherspoon, yeah, J-Lo, well, something like that. and um, Jimmy Fallon. Right. It must be killing them, too. I, right? Well, I don't know. I'm just so grateful and humbled. My mom always said this. I'm so glad you were born on our birthdays. And my mom passed away on Saturday. And you know, Brian, she's been sick for five years after a stroke. Very debilitating. And her little body just was blessed. It was just she just fought and fought until it gave up. So we were all home this weekend. She did see the success of the book. She was so proud of this book. And now, and she was a school teacher for and little ones. she used ones. to say that to you, right? Yes. And so now her voice, the the stroke, she went through aphasia. She wasn't able to speak anymore. And she loved to talk, Brian. I mean, you would not have gotten a word in edgewise <laughs> on our show if, if she were, but she would talk on the phone for hours. I mean, and I'd be like, mom, y'all are just talking about nothing. Why do you keep talking? And, um, but she was really sweet and very cute and very social. But, um, now her voice is being heard and distributed throughout the world, and I am just delighted that she's honored in this way. Yeah, I mean, what a tough weekend you had, but I know it's the same thing. After a long illness, you feel relief and yeah, sadness. Yes, and I guess is too. everything over the weekend. This, yeah. So the, you know, you know, because when your mom passed away, you're you're grateful that they're out of their misery, and that I know her body is whole. I know that she's in heaven. Um, she had a strong relationship with Christ, and so I know where she is. And she loved her parents when she lost them. Twenty five years ago, it was devastating. So um, her sister and I were saying, oh, she's in heaven with Jesus and her parents. So that gives us so much hope and love and support. But also it hasn't really hit me yet because she died at 420 in the morning. We rushed to her side Saturday morning. Yes, we rushed to her side. Um, You know, we were there, the the head of the funeral home from um, Dunbar Funeral Home, Greg Dunbar came over. He's friends with my dad because my dad works part time at the funeral home, driving families around in the limos. For funerals, and um, he came over at 5 a.m. So he was there with us immediately. The coroner, assistant coroner, her name's Crystal. She came over from Richland District Two, or Richland Two in Columbia. She was there. Her doctor was calling and saying it's okay to take her body straight to the funeral home because normally they take the body to the hospital and then they have to transport the body to the funeral home. But because all three of those people were there, they were able to to do that, which was such a blessing. Then we watched her body being wheeled out of our of our house, and them tra- putting pulling her body from her hospital bed in our basement to to this um, gurney and covering her up, and that was hard. Dad and I just held each other and sobbed. But then, you know, because it's her home and her mm-hmm. her touches are all over that house, obviously, and with so many memories. How many I, years there? Oh gosh, fourth grade. I was in fourth wow. grade, so I was what like maybe nine or ten, and I'm forty six. So most of our lives. And I went upstairs and I could still hear her voice. I went into my bedroom. I could imagine her waking me up from school. Um, just heard her everywhere. Her kitchen. She loved that kitchen because she was a great chef. So, um, we, I thought, I didn't know if she was going to make it through the book tour. I'm so grateful. And I prayed and prayed, God, I need to be there with her. Mm -hmm. Um, dad called us about two weeks ago and said, I don't know if she's going to be able to make it 
until this this past weekend. So we were going to go home the weekend before, and Dad called on Thursday and said, "Your mom's rebound. She's she's great now. She seems like she's wow. happy and she's smiling." And so, and, and we kept going through too, right? that. What'd you say? You have a nurse there too. We have a nurse yeah. there, Maggie. There, Maggie's been amazing. She cooks for my dad. She cooks for my mom. They have dinner together and they watch Antiques Roadshow and they watch um, the Food Network Fox, and Fox News. Yeah, so. those yeah. are her three. Yeah. Those are her three, and and some other cop show. It's not Blue Bloods. It's one of those other ones that they love. And so they they were like a little family. It was really cute. So Maggie's having a tough time. Um, she's been with my mom every day basically for five years, and mom and dad were married for fifty years. And um, he's taking care of her for five years. But when we brought in Maggie, it was wonderful because we were all about to kill each, o- each other. You know, my sister so and I were much going, stress on the family. so much stress. Right. And Maggie would say, Wayne, go out of town for the weekend. Go play golf with your buddies. I've got this. Most of the time, Dad would stay one night and then he'd say, Maggie, I'm coming home on Saturday because I just need to be with Dale. But it was a really beautiful, you know, when you're growing up, you don't understand your parents or their relationship and you think your dad wasn't suited for your mom or your mom wasn't suited for your dad. And then you get older and you get married and you realize they were such a team. Like they've known, they got married at 21 years old and had Mm -hmm. my sister like 12 months later, basically. So that's, they've only known each other and yeah, they would have their disagreements, but dad was the tough one, the disciplinarian, and mom was always the sweet one that would keep her mouth shut if, you know, and just kind of let us be ourselves. Right. So if, um, uh, she just, she let Ainsley be Ainsley and supported me. She never once said, don't go to New York City. I support everything you do, Ainsley. You go. She was so proud of what you well, and We rolled a clip for you. was on the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was nervous. I remember when she had to meet you and Steve for the first time, she's like, I don't do this. I don't, millions of people watch. How am I going to do this? I don't like to right. speak in public. That but, was the kind of woman but, she was. But the thing is, though, you have to excuse her for that. I'm intimidating. I mean, you, you I'm are. very intimidating. You are. Yeah. So you have to excuse she her for that. She thought you were so funny. Right, right. Yeah. She you thought go. you were so cute and funny. Um, yeah, yeah I, I just know it's been – now are you going to work this week? Too, I'm going to work this week, and the reason is we – we you know, you, you you watch your mom leave the house. Then you immediately get into into – planning mode. So I wrote the obituary. I had two hours to write it. Dad wanted it in the Sunday paper because a lot of his friends just get the Sunday paper. We did that. Planned the funeral, the casket, talked to the ministers, picked out the songs, all that. And so I wanted to come back to work. We're going to do the funeral next week. But my mom, she thinks this country, she loves this country and the elections are so important. She didn't want me to take time off. Wow. That's uh, commendable to you. Uh, You're doing it for her. Ainsley, thanks so much. Pick up her book. So glad you were born. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This poll with Ipsos shows that both parties have their areas of strength, uh, but Republicans are starting to open open up a pretty significant gap on some of the biggest issues that motivate voters. Inflation, crime, issues around the economy, double-digit plus gap. That's what the campaign has been about. That's what the ads have been focused on. Now, Democrats have their issues as well. They're they have yawning uh, advantages on things like gun violence, abortion, climate change. But the problem for them, John, is that those aren't the issues that are motivating voters first and foremost, either in polls or, or talking to voters. It's those issues around the economy. And if this campaign is about inflation, high prices, about crime, Republicans have a big, big advantage. And I don't think there's any doubt about it, but that's significant. It's on ABC. And, you know, George Stephanopoulos wanted nothing to do with that statement. You could tell he was basically coaching the week before on what uh, these other lawmakers should be talking about, because that was his 
old job. Brett Baer's new job was the same as his old job. Chief political anchor for Fox News. Anchor special report. Uh, weeknights and his book, To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876 is now out on paperback. And Brett, you know how I know that? Because I've been in three airports over the last few days. It's everywhere. <laughs> nice. That's good to hear. Right. How are you? And you know what Tuesday is? Tuesday is one week. Right. It's what? also when the pre- uh, president of Freedom Fighter comes out on paperback. Did you circle oh, that on your calendar? I did. I did. I will make sure I mention that. <laughs> you just do it in the middle of your show. Like, Brett, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. welcome in, Brett. You and Brett, just before we get started, we can just take a full screen <laughs> Brian, of Brian's book. <laughs> yeah. He goes, uh, Brett, uh, he'll say, uh, uh, Brad, that's so unprofessional of you. Um, that's not how I trained you. That's not why I gave the keys to this car. So, Brett, would, would ABC, would, what we just heard from ABC is a fact. The issues have pivoted to uh, to this party. And I remember the best example is John McCain get to the nomination because he supported the surge in Iraq, among other things. And then by the time he gets the nomination and running for president against Barack Obama becomes about the economy. And everyone went back and said, well, John McCain's on the record saying I'm not really into economics. So the, the issues left him. The issues are coming to Republicans, it seems. It does. And you're seeing the shift in every big race. Um, you're seeing a tightening in some of the ones that had separation. You're seeing the generic ballot really separate with Republicans going up and You know, you also have to take into account that historically the last at least four elections, we've seen an undercount for Republicans anywhere between two and five points. At some points, it's egregious. I mean, some some polling, you know, averages um, just miss the mark. And if you just take into that, let's just say it's two or three points, um, a lot of these races start turning. So a couple of things I noticed. So in order to get the win in a close race, a lot of times you have to be subtle and about where you're pivoting at the end. So Raphael Warnock is running ads showing how he works with Ted Cruz and how uh, how, how well he works with Republicans, uh, various people. I think Marco Rubio is another. And then you have Dr. Oz talking about how he's moderate on issues and he's running ads, how he's not extreme, because that's what he's trying to accomplish right now. Yeah, and they're all trying to come to the middle because they want to get independents. Uh, they want to get especially women in the suburbs uh, to feel comfortable voting for them. And that's kind of the closing argument for a lot of these campaigns. Um, it's not the closing argument, for example, for Kerry Lake in Arizona or other conservatives who are you know, really hitting their opponents uh, and effectively about not going to debates or, or other things. I think, um, you know, I'm going to be down in Georgia on Wednesday, and um, we're hoping to get Senator Warnock. We're, we'll talk to Herschel Walker, Governor Kemp, and Stacey Abrams uh, on a roadshow in Atlanta. And um, I think those races, you know, are going to turn on control of Congress, control of the Senate, uh, as opposed to issue-based uh, back and forth. You know, it's interesting because everyone's saying if they don't get 50, here we go in Georgia again. If we are, you're tied, if everything's tied, or it's 50-49, either side, and then you got to win that runoff election, that runoff will happen if one candidate doesn't get over 50%. So would that also, would that be right after the new year again? 
No, I think it's uh, scheduled for December, um, but it would be potentially, you know, control of the U.S. Senate, again, hanging in the balance in Georgia, as we saw last time. Uh, that one happened on January 5th, but uh, or the first week in January. Um, this one would be in December. So a couple of things. I'm looking at Arizona. Uh, this next, the YouGov poll that went out has Blake Masters within three points of Mark Kelly. The latest poll in Nevada with Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and Adam Laxalt has tightened even further. Laxalt has inched ahead of Mato, uh, Masto by about two points. So that would be a flip seat. But one of the biggest stories that I'm surprised has gotten bigger attention is Lee Zeldin. He's gone from between 14 and 20 points back to a head, if not dead, in a dead heat with Kathy Hochul with the debate tomorrow. From you know, It's easy for me to get caught up in a New York story because I'm located here. What about from Washington? Have you guys are you guys as surprised uh, that this is happening as I am? Yeah, yeah. Congressman Zeldin will be on special report tonight, and um, I, I think that that race is all about crime and what you're seeing on the ground uh, as far as feeling safe. And Zeldin has effectively uh, worked the that issue uh, among others, but that one is the biggest. Abortions dropped. And yet abortion's impervious to any Republican agenda just by the, the nature of the legislature, and, and that's what's on the books. Here's what Lee Zeldin said, basically what you were just re- repeating, but they had an emergency press conference on Saturday, talked about you know, the governor and, and mayor together. Here's Zeldin, cut 16. We're getting support from Democrats and independents as well. They're hitting their breaking point. They see one party rule. The party has gone too far left up in Albany. They passed new laws like cashless bail and other pro-criminal laws making our streets less safe. They elect district attorneys like Alvin Bragg in Manhattan refusing to enforce the law. They're not supporting our men and women in law enforcement the way that they should. They block the safe extraction of natural gas, and we're seeing energy costs on the rise. They continue to increase spending and taxes where people are struggling to afford to be able to survive here in the state. There's no hyperbole in that statement, and because my, I have uh, two kids who go to school upstate, and you see the untapped potential there. It is rural America, and there was all set to frack like they did in Ohio and Pennsylvania, and Governor Cuomo did an impact study, environmental impact study, said it's clear, and he still didn't do anything. That That's one thing that drives the, peop- the, the men and women upstate and the families upstate crazy, because they started building up these towns, getting ready for the exploration, and they're withered again. That stuff matters. It does matter. And it matters in upstate New York. It matters in rural Pennsylvania, where, I mean, they had one of the biggest booms ever when uh, fracking was at its height. And, uh, you know, you've got Lieutenant Governor Fetterman there saying he was never against fracking. But then you look back at statements, he was totally against fracking. uh, And... It, it, that energy issue is another issue that leans to the Republicans now as, uh, you know, these prices are through the roof. So the question is, who's to blame Brett Bear? By the way, my brother just texted me. He said, I bought Brett Bear's book. It's great. And the thing is, nice. he doesn't. you would think you'd use my connections to get you at least a discount. But instead, he paid full <laughs> price. So, Brett, you can retire early, which I know has always been the goal. Right. And golf more. You don't even need a hobby. You got the perfect retirement hobby. Uh, I'm going to have my brother buy your ba- book. If, I, I think that's the least you could do. Uh, at least one of them. Uh, what, don't you can't buy it yet. It goes out tomorrow. 
Uh, but here's, here's what James Clyburn said. So the question is, who's to blame for inflation? Nancy Pelosi, and I won't play the cod, but over the weekend, the big move was everybody's got inflation. We're better than most. But then James Clyburn kind of gave up the playbook on MSNBC over the weekend, too. Cut seven. Well, let me make it very clear. All of us are concerned about these rising costs. And all of us knew this would be the case uh, when we put in place this recovery program. Anytime you put more money uh, into uh, the economy, uh, prices uh, tend to rise. Oops. So they knew putting money in was going to raise prices. So it was worth it. I guess he was saying. Yes, I think he was. But um, that is, you know, the, the gaffe in Washington is that you say the real thing out loud. And that's true. It's the only way inflation really happens. Um, is if there's an influx of cash coming from the government, the one that can print the cash. Um, Also, on top of that, not just the rescue, but then to add on top of that the student loan uh, debt forgiveness, where over the weekend again, in an interview, the president said that he signed a law and he got it passed by a couple votes. Well, no, he actually didn't. It was an executive order. And um, but yet it was going to influx more cash into an already hot environment. And in fact, Brett, just to prove I like to validate your stories. I have never <laughs> had the problem in the past, but here's to prove what you said is correct. I've just signed a law that's being challenged by my Republican colleagues, the same people who got PPP loans during the for up to close to in some cases up to five, six hundred thousand dollars. They have no problem with that. The individuals in Congress got those. But um, what we've provided for is if you went to school, if you qualify for a Pell Grant, you qualify for 2000 I mean, excuse me, uh, you, you qualify for $20,000 in debt forgiveness. Secondly, if you don't have one of those loans, you just get 10000 written off. It's passed. I got it passed by a vote or two, and it's in effect. It just that it's crazy I mean, not to understand how you did. Too? I mean, was it was the vote Ron Klain, <laughs> you know, in the Oval Office, Jill Biden? Was it the first lady who voted? Because there was no vote. Does that worry? I mean, I've never heard anything like that. I mean, I, I, excuse me. I mean, I've heard. I mean, he also was looking for uh, a, a lawmaker that passed away the other day. Wonder where she was. So, I mean, there's there's some things going on here. She also he also said over the weekend. You know, we, clearly the the first lady wants her to run again because they have a lot of unfinished business. I don't understand how, why the first lady would want him to run again. He's almost 90. And he, excuse me, he's 80 years old. He obviously he's been through a lot in his life physically and emotionally. Why would if anything, it would be I want to run and people around you don't want you to run. I was surprised by that statement. Yeah. Yeah, it, it all up, and it am I breaking up? Yeah, you were you were breaking up a little, but I blame I blame society. I blame uh, satellites. I don't blame you. <laughs> well, thank you. Right, I blame the I blame Elon Musk. There Thanks, Starlink. Well, exactly. I think um, it, it, you add it all up. It is not a great uh, communication message. Very. Uh, that was. Uh, have you named your panel yet? Brit Hume will be on the show. Okay, and we have we also know Lee Zeldin. Yes, and Lee Zeldin. So that'll be big. And then they got the big debate Tuesday, and then John Fetterman 
and Dr. Oz also Tuesday. And it's going to be interesting because they have the closed captioning and you're going to hear long pauses, right? I mean, you're going to hear a question. You're going to hear uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman, do you have a response? And then you're going to hear a long pause and then he's going to respond and you're going to hear a pause. It's going to be bizarre. It'll be awkward or just interesting. Uh, we'll see how how it goes. Uh, but that's a big moment for that race. By the way, we also have a town hall. Martha and I are doing a town hall in Ohio with uh, J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan um, next week, next Tuesday. Wow, that should be fantastic. Tim Ryan. Yeah, in Columbus. No, it will be my goal to admit that he's a Democrat at some point. <laughs> he does not want to say what party he's in. There you go. Go get him. I'll Bre- add that to the question list. If you don't mind. Uh, to Rescue the Republic, out on paperback, Brett Baird, thanks so much. We'll see you, Brian. When we come back, I'm going to finish up with some calls, one 408 7669 You've been very patient up there, and I appreciate it. Just a quick reminder, uh, the, the President of Freedom Fighter comes out on Tuesday, as I mentioned. On Thursday, I'm going to be at Barnes & Noble in uh, Bayshore, and on Saturday at Barnes & Noble up in Rochester, New York. So uh, I have a whole list of the book tour uh, events coming out. So I'll be in and out of probably your city, and we have some big announcements to make along the way. And don't forget, November 12th, I'll be in Brandon, Mississippi, and on November 13th, Tulsa, Oklahoma. That'll be America great from the start, and I'll be talking about all the books in one, be able to interact with you in a live stage setting. It's always the most fun. And December 2nd in Newark, New Jersey, BrianKillMe.com. I hope to see you all out there, take your questions, and meet you in person. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Stop acting surprised that someone blew up the 12-mile-long Crimean bridge after Russia spent two years building it. Just admit what we're all thinking. They built a bridge in two years? In L.A., we'd still be putting out the cones. Uh, yeah, that is true. And uh, Bill Maher having some fun with war, which is always great. Uh, the Ukraine is, the situation is fascinating in that it actually could cost J.D. Vance a little bit because his huge Ukrainian population in Ohio. And when he came out and basically says, I'm indifferent about the war or um, uh, I don't think we should be spending in the war – in a race very tight, it go, doesn't re- really sit well with Ukrainians who watch their loved ones forced from their homes or dead or buried or fighting for their livelihood. So I think that's important. The other thing with Ukraine is important is that they've taken Kyrgyzstan. They basically in Russia, they put up a fake government. They were told to leave. So everyone's getting out of there. And they, um, they're also making some more gains in the Kharkiv area. So there's a lot going on positively on the ground for the Ukraine, and they also found a way to take out a great number of those kamikaze drones that the Iranians are sending in, but they say it's exhausting to be able to take them out. They move slowly, they make a lot of noise, but they do a lot of damage. So uh, we'll see how quick we can get some missile defense there to these major cities, because that's the new thing Russia's doing, trying to destroy the infrastructure and make Winter, a special hell for the Ukrainian people, so they turn on the war effort. Debbie, listen on WABC in New York. Hey, Debbie. Hi, Brian. Um, two qu- well, one question is, if you don't have Spectrum TV, how can we watch the debate, which is very important for everybody to hear? Hey, I don't even know. That's a good thing. We'll try to look that up. Uh, you're talking and about – ta- wait, wait, which debate are you talking about? Spectrum is Pennsylvania, right? I'm talking about right? Zeldin. 
Oh, no, Zeldin and Hochul. Yeah, it's New York One. It's only on Spectrum. Everybody, a lot of people have files. Or I mean, I whatever. know. You know, that's interesting. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll write to. I'll, I'll get that answer by tomorrow for sure. Okay. I don't put. And that also, up. I have a suggestion for Congressman Zeldin. Um, his opening remarks. It might be better to start positive with like an olive branch rather than let her create a war zone. And he could say, Governor Hochul, I promise never to ask you to get out of town. My administration will continue to respect every political party. We will not hate. We will work together with all parties to achieve the best results for all New Yorkers. You're welcome to stay. That is very good, because that was something they said a few weeks ago. For all those uh, people that support Zeldin, you can leave. We heard the same thing from Charlie Crist. He said the same thing about DeSantis supporters. But here's the thing with Charlie Crist. He's going to lose. and Everybody knows he's going to lose. He's a sacrificial lamb. He's there to make Governor DeSantis look unelectable for a national audience. Governor Hochul has a lot to lose. She's out in front. She had no reason to make statements like that. Bad politician, a, a really ham-handed fundraiser. She has a lot of issues of quid pro quo. She has ignored crime. All she wants to do is talk about abortion. That's how where America is. We'll see what happens Tuesday. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Find out where I'll be. And tomorrow, the President Freedom Fighter on paperback. Order it now. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.